Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Proverbs 29 and verse 19 starting. The Bible says, A servant will not be corrected by words, for though he understand, he will not answer. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Verse 21 states, He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at length. He that delicately bring up his servant from a child shall have him uh, become his son at length. Amen. For a little while today, I want to uh, talk to you, whether I'm preaching or teaching, whatever. I just want to talk to you this morning about this. And this is a statement of ex- exclamation, not a question. What manner of love? What manner of love? All right. Will you join me right now in prayer? I know we've been doing a lot of praying, a lot of uh, this and that, but let's just go to the Lord one more time, if you will, on behalf of this uh, service here this morning, the next few moments. Father, Lord, I come to you today, Lord, and we're appreciative, Lord, of you, and we need you, Jesus, in this house. Open up our minds and understanding, oh God, that we could, Lord, lean in to you this morning. God, if we could just lean in into what the Spirit is saying or what it is, Lord, portraying God in our very own lives, we'll be thankful today, God, for what you, Lord, invest there. God, what you, Lord Jesus, would place in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. God, bring our attention, Lord God, to you, that we could fasten our minds and our attention upon you and receive, Lord, what the Spirit, Lord, is giving out today. Lord, and we'll be thankful and appreciative for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Jesus name I don't know if the, I'm sorry I don't know the verdict yet if the groundhog has seen a shadow or not amen so if anybody does we're right now just weighing in the balance for the verdict and I know it's a very serious thing and so uh, but I hope we can get through this service amen without knowing amen uh, what manner of love the passage here in Proverbs chapter 29 and particularly this morning I, I repeated and was repetitive with verse 21 uh, on purpose because uh, many people who are more intelligent than I has uh, studied these scriptures and uh, looked over them and verse 21 in particular has been somewhat of a difficulty for translators somewhat of a difficulty for uh, some of the scholars concerning its true meaning its true meaning is somewhat obscure its true meaning is somewhat uncertain and some have suggested it to mean that uh, it means that if you pamper a servant, if you pamper it, if you uh, watch cautiously over a servant and extend some privileges to that servant, that eventually that servant will uh, expect the same privileges as you would give your very own son. That if you show love and compassion and care for that servant from a childhood child from childhood up through its its infantile years and its toddler years that there will come a day after being treated like that and loved on and have compassion toward him like that that it will expect the very same privileges that one of your own children that sits at your table and lives under your roof would have others suggest that whenever you are tender 
uh, tender toward a servant throughout uh, its development years that it will come to, again, expect that same type of treatment to carry on uh, to the place that that servant over a period of time will reach a point in its life that it will be thankless for the compassion that you show it. That, it, 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 that servant could very well cause you grief later on, taking advantage of the love and the concern uh, that you have shown toward it. If I may today just read a couple other translations or versions of that same verse, of verse 21, the Bible says in the Revised Standard Version like this, he who pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. Uh, the New American Standard updated version of the Bible says in verse 21, he who pampers his slave from childhood will in the end find him to be a son. And so these, these versions, uh, versions and translations, and as some scholars believe, portrayed that if, if you take good care in bringing up a servant from a child, then he'll become like a son, or if you will, a son to you. If, if you pamper that servant, you, you might end up with him being like a son or a son to you. If you look at the translations, the other two that I read to you, the Bible uh, stated in those that if you do this type of thing and have that type of love and that type of compassion and that type of concern, you will in the end find him to be a son. And whenever I see those words find him, it's although the master has treated the servant in such a loving and compassionate way that all of a sudden one day it's like he's surprised by the fact that now this individual is like a son to him or is a son to him. But I would like, since this has uncertainty concerning uh, what it really means, that allows me a little leverage today. I propose this morning, could it be that the master intentionally cared for the servant? And the master intentionally loved the servant? Because he knew if he did that from a childhood up and he lavished him with love and he lavished him with some of the same privileges that his own children had, that perhaps somewhere along the journey a transaction would happen for that servant boy and he who was a servant would actually become a son to the master. What, what if in the mind of the master he thought, you know what? Uh, this is no surprise if I love him and endure some of his uh, uh, things that are wrong and endure some of his things that doesn't measure up to what our household stands for, that if I love him, it's not going to be surprised that in somewhere along the journey, he's going to start loving me back. What if the mind of the master through all this, his intention was the pampering. His intention was the infected end that this boy who seen through as a young child, this is a master and I'm a servant, that he wanted that to transition more into a father-son role. Maybe the master's goal and maybe the master's objective all along the way was that I want to have a metamorphosis to take place in the life of this servant, that he won't always look at me as a master, that's lording over him or demanding things but somewhere in a transition perhaps I can love him into a sonship role and have compassion upon him that he won't feel like he's serving me but he'll feel like he's part of the family someone say amen the Bible tells us in the Old Testament of a story 
that many of us may know somewhat well, uh, a man by the name of Moses. And if we understand the history of that time, they're living in Egypt, his mom and dad, and Moses is born. Moses is born during a time of conflict that Pharaoh has said any male child that is born is to be thrown into the river. They are, they are to be killed. And we understand how Moses' mom and dad uh, hid that boy for three months, the Bible says. They seen that he was a goodly child. And they made a basket of bulrushes and they pitched that thing within and without. And they made sure it was watertight sealed. And they laid that little baby at three months old and did throw it in the river so to speak but not without the ark that they had made for it and he's there in that Nile river and the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river's edge and she spies out and sees this child in the river and she has one of her servants fetch the child from the river and uh, Pharaoh's daughter even identifies that this is not an Egyptian but this is a Hebrew baby uh, Moses was born to a mom and dad who were servants at greatness slaves to Pharaoh and so being born in such a household he was to be a servant or a slave as well he's born a servant born a slave he's destined for his years to come if he is to live to be the worst kind of servant and that would be a slave but the Bible states these words in Exodus 2 and verse 6 speaking of Pharaoh's daughter that when she had opened it she saw the child and behold the babe wept this is Moses now and she had look now Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on Moses and said this is one of the Hebrews children this is not of her own family of her own descendants it's a Hebrew child verse 9 says and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her see what happened was Pharaoh's daughter says I need a, I need a nurse to nurse this child and so Moses' very own sister said hey you need somebody I'll go get somebody and Moses' own sister now this and Pharaoh's daughter doesn't realize that this is Moses' sister on this but his own sister went and got his mama uh, to be nursed to this child and so Pharaoh's daughter says take take her uh, said unto her take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages and the woman took the child and she nursed it now there's something I want you to start seeing here amen Pharaoh's daughter Moses should be a servant to Pharaoh's daughter Moses should be a slave to Pharaoh's daughter but something's happening here in this transition here Amen. Something is happening because Pharaoh's daughter is having compassion on Moses. Pharaoh's daughter, the Bible says, is having compassion upon what should be a servant to her. She has compassion to the place that she looks out for his life because she fetches him out of the river when every other child likened to him is dying. She's having compassion on him. She's fetching him out of the river. Pharaoh's daughter is making sure that Moses, this servant boy, is going to be nurtured. She's making sure that the servant boy is going to be fed. She's not suffering any expense for the well-being of this boy. She told that lady that was going to nurse this child, she says, you do what you got to do. 
and I'll give you your wages. I'll pay whatever I need to pay, but I'm going to take care of this baby. But this baby was a servant. This baby was a slave at best. This baby was not of her own people. And at some point in time, Moses' mother finished nursing him. And I want you to know, nursing back then didn't just take, you know, a few months. When they nursed kids back then, uh, history and culture tells us that they would nurse their kids for at least five or six years. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot about that that I don't even want to consider. But they would nurse these kids for five or six years. And for five or six years, listen to me, for five or six years, Pharaoh's daughter is paying this lady to nurse this child. Amen. But this is a servant. This is a slave she is doing this for. But she's taking great care that he has food, great care that he's being nurtured for. And the Bible says that no doubt that he grew, the child grew. And at this determined time, and however long it's not specified how long she did nurse this child. But however long it is that the child that under normal circumstances would have been deemed the servant of Pharaoh's daughter, the Bible says he became her son. In Exodus 2.10, the Bible says the child grew and she brought him into Pharaoh's daughter, the nurse did, and he, that servant, that child that was born a slave became her son and she called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. If Moses is five or six years old, and we don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of the writing in between the lines, but let me just imagine here for a moment. If Moses are five or six years old, if you have a five or six year old, uh, it's good to say that if they didn't ever have any compassion, they never had any kindness shown toward a certain individual uh, from a certain individual, and you, they were, you were going to give them up to go with somebody that they never had any compassion from, uh, never any love or acquaintance with, that there would probably be a little difficulty in the exchange if you were going to give them up to someone that all the time spoke down to them all the time threatened them all the time treated them wrongly and I know this is a story amen within a story here but I believe that Moses made that transference from servant to son because through Pharaoh's daughter he had seen her whenever she plucked him up out of the river she knew that the well being and the nurture that he got was because she, he, she was paying for what was to take place and in the end he became her son but he should have been a slave he should have been a servant but he became her son because this woman had compassion for the welfare of a servant I'm here to tell you all today that whenever it comes to the family of God we were not a part of his family we were not a part of his heritage we were not a part amen of the family of God but because God loved us and God had compassion on us and God looked out for our welfare and our will be God has some intentions and God has a purpose he's trying to love us as servants into a position of being sons and daughters of God yes. uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
I don't see Moses making the transition had he not received the love. There would be no servant that would make a transition if all they ever had was the whips upon their back and the hatred spoken in their ears. I'm telling somebody in this place today that you've been a servant to sin, but God's trying to change that this morning and you're hearing the love and the affection of a savior today. Someone that's watching out for you and gently handling you because he wants you to make a transition from not just being a servant of righteousness but a son of righteousness today what someone say hallelujah thank you Jesus Moses understood this he understood this see the mindset of Proverbs is that if you treat a servant as a son that is what he or she will become. But if you treat a servant as a servant, that's all they'll ever aspire to be. And nothing more. I'm not convinced, Bishop, I know people have called themselves this, but I'm not convinced there are truly any sons of Satan. Because they've only ever been treated in that reign as a servant. But not so in the kingdom of God. You may find your entrance as a servant. But through the diligent love and the diligent compassion of what was your master. A transference happens. And I don't see him as master anymore. I see him as daddy. I see him as father. God's treating me that way because he wants me to become more than just a servant in his kingdom. He wants to identify me as his son. Amen. You'll notice in Exodus 2 in the very next verse, verse 11, and it's not up there, but the Bible speaks after... Moses has grown somewhat more. He reaches an advanced age that he goes out, the Bible says. And he witnesses one of his brethren, a Hebrew, that's being smitten by an Egyptian. He sees a servant being smitten by a master. And he sees the servant not being handled Delicately. You see the servant not being handled with compassion or lovingly, but rather roughly. Moses knew in that moment that the status of that servant is always going to be a servant here. Amen. If that's the type of treatment that's going to take place. Amen. Because sonship can only be accomplished through the careful handling of the master. I've probably, I think maybe perhaps shared this before, but so God treats us the way he does to inspire for us to become what he's loving us into. There was a church that we used to go to and, and preach at and, and uh, in their Sunday school class they would have typically as, as is done some places and that is have some type of form of snack, you know, uh, in, in Sunday school class, some of those you know kids come in. They haven't had breakfast, so and so forth. Some type of snack, and so they used to serve snack. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I've shared this before, but they they used to serve snack on paper clay, 
plates and little foam cups, you know, or little solo red, blue, whatever, you know, cups. And they'd do that. I mean, the kids during that time was bonkers. You know, it's like for sure don't feed them anything for a snack that's sugar because they're having problems already. And, and it seemed like things would get disheveled on the table and paper plates would end up on the floor and drinks would get spilled. And, you know, it was almost like, is it really worth it? They go home and eat lunch, you know what I'm saying? And one of the ladies that was a Sunday school teacher got this bright idea. And she brought in from her home her fine china. Plates and cups. And at snack time that morning, they had in front of them this fine glass china plate and cup. And do you know that those kids sat there with such discipline and so proper, no cups were spilled. There was no plates that went on the floor because that teacher had learned something. He said, if I want them to be something, I'll treat them like they're already that. As long as it was just a paper, these are a bunch of kids and they're rowdy, so we're going to get this because they could break something. They would act in accordance with that. But the moment she got out the fine china, she's like, what are you saying when you do that? I want you to act a little proper. That's what it's saying. It's saying, I think you're going you're gonna to just discipline yourself just to be a little bit more behaved. And when she set that before them, they became what she desired for them to be. Amen. God looked down to the eons of glory. Amen. And in reality, folks, he could treat us really horrible, really bad, where some of us have come from in the pits that we were drawn out of but he said no wait a minute I don't want them to always be right there I want them to be something more and so I'm going to start treating them and loving them like I want them to be I tell you we got testimonies around here this morning because in a spiritual sense God set the china down in front of you and the glasses in front of you and all of a sudden there was a transformation you came out of the hog pen and you went to the father's house not as a servant but a son yes hallelujah Woo! <laughs> that master that master in Proverbs knew what he was doing he was raising he was rearing that servant like he was his own son he made that boy sit at his table with him he fed that boy with the same dainties from his table they would feed his own children that the rest of his children he clothed them amen in a respectable manner just the same as he clothed clothed the rest of his children of his household and so as that servant grew from a childhood into adolescence into adulthood you know what he started to notice there is no discrepancy amen between how that man treats me and how he treats one of his own kids There is no discrepancy. There is no difference. And you know what starts to happen in the mind? Amen. Maybe from an infant, amen, told that he was a servant. But through the process of time, of regular treatment from the master, from the father, if you will, something happened along the way. I know somewhere along the line, they told me I was a servant. But I don't see any discrepancy between how I'm treated and one of the sons are treated. I'm starting to think that maybe perhaps I'm a son. 
Honey, I want the first apostolic church to, to be a place you can come into no matter how bad your past may have been. And there's not a discrepancy in how the Father and how the church treats you compared to anybody else around here that's been around for 20 years that somewhere along the way you come to the great idea, hey, maybe I'm not a servant. Perhaps I am a son. And I'm feeling the Holy Ghost here today. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know if I want to get flipped off every morning on my way to church, but I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> so the gentle care, and the intentional coaxing of the master in Proverbs, I believe is mirrored today by the New Testament scripture of God toward you and I. Bible states... And this is from which I get my subject matter today, or title at least, in 1 John 3 and verse number 1. The writer, the apostle says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him Leave that up there just for a moment, Sister McGee. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. As I said from the onset today, it's not a question. It's an it's exclamation. It is a statement. Behold what love, what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us. And if I can, though, follow up some questions, we can ask ourselves, why has God done this? What is the reason for God doing this? What is the purpose of him loving me? Because in our mind, there are some conflicts going on. I don't deserve his love. I shouldn't be receiving this type of treatment. I shouldn't have that careful hand placed upon my shoulder. Why is he lavishing me with this immeasurable love? And the rest of the phrase there in 1 John tells us why. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? Why? That, that we should be called the Son of God. God loves us the way that he loves us. With the love of a father's love. No, not a master's love, but a father's love. Because ultimately, he doesn't want us to be a servant. He wants us to be a son. I don't deserve this love, God. I don't deserve this love, God. Sir, ma'am, whoever you are, that is exactly right. Amen. But he doesn't love you just for who you are. He loves you for who you're going to become. <laughs> Abram, the Old Testament Abram had a complex situation in his family and life. The complexity of Abram's situation was this. He had no child. And his wife is childless. She's unable to bear. She was barren. And as a result of these two, or one, I guess you could even call it particular factors, evidently somewhere along the line, Abram had nurtured 
a close relationship with the servant of his house by the name of Eleazar. Eleazar of Damascus, as the scripture tells us, I believe in Genesis 15. And he nurtured such a close relationship with the servant because he has no child, has no son, has no daughter. He, he nurtured such a close relationship with them that in essence, Abram told God, God, I plan on making this servant of my house my heir. I don't have a natural son at this point in time. I don't have nobody to leave my possessions to. I don't have anybody that I can lavish all the goods that I have. There's nobody there to inherit it. And so God, I, I, I've grown close and I've nurtured a relationship with this servant. And I'm gonna have him to be my heir. But in order for Abraham to rightfully make that servant his heir, Abraham would have to adopt that servant as his son. And so Abraham had fostered such a relationship with his servant that at this particular stage in his life, he says, God, I'm willing to make this servant my son. I'm willing to adopt this servant that doesn't belong to my family tree. That has no rights or privileges per se attached to my family name. But I'm willing out of nurturing a relationship with him to adopt this servant and allow him to be my son so that he might inherit everything that me as daddy owns. <laughs> Abraham no doubt loved that servant because he saw him as more than a servant. He seen him as possibly the future heir. And can I say this morning that God loves us because he doesn't just see us as servants but he wants to place upon us and through us as New Testament scripture speaks a spirit of adoption amen where we would not be a servant but a son to us why because he has some possessions and he has some goods and he has some bounty and he has some treasure houses that he wants that to be dispensed to and he's as willing as possible to get as many servants and love them into the position and adopt them as sons so they can be inheritors of his promise so they can be inheritors of his and so when he adopted us, he chose us and we didn't choose him. Whenever he adopted us, he put his name on us. Whenever he adopted us, we became apprentices of the family and wherever right and privilege was not ours, when he put his name on us, I had just as much as right as Isaac would when he was born because now I'm not just a servant of Abram, I'm a son. Someone say Amen. Malachi 1 and 6. Malachi 1 and verse number 6. The Bible says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my, my fear? Also interpreted, honor. Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name, and ye shall say, wherein have we despised thy name? There's a couple 
couple statements that are being conveyed to us here in this verse. He says that a son honors his father and that a servant honors, if you will, his master. And so the Lord is basically saying to whom he is writing, if our relationship is a father-son relationship, where's my honor? If our relationship is a master-servant relationship, where is my honor? And so the Lord is basically speaking to those whom he is writing this and says, you're either a son to me or you're a servant to me. And all of that comes down based upon what type of relationship you and I have. Because servants have masters, but sons have fathers. And folks, listen to me clearly today. Just, you know, another little point maybe along the way. It's quite possible for you to be a son in position, but a servant in practice. The son in position has been given as First John or John 1, verse number 13, I believe it is, uh, to many that believed on him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. A son in position has been given the power to become a son of God. Listen to me. But he still interprets God's request as demand. Position as a son, but in practice as a servant. Called a son, labeled a son. But in practice, how we interact, whenever God requests something, we're looking at him as being this old hard fist ruler that he's demanding something rather than just as he truly is requesting something of a child. The Bible says in Galatians 4, and these are good scriptures, so I'll read a, a good extent of them. Amen. This morning we won't go wrong with adhering to the word of God. Galatians 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive, look now, the adoption of sons. And he says, because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, and look, wherefore, Thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, because Romans told, told us that whosoever we yield ourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. And so we obey the things of the world and we go places we shouldn't go and do things we shouldn't do and it's because we have yielded our members and our body and our mind and our emotions as servants of the world. And so we're under the master of the world. And so we are at the beck and the call, if you will, of that master. But whenever we become obedient unto the Lord and we receive that spirit of adoption that he speaks of and it comes forth in our hearts and we become 
initially servants of God. And so whatever God would ask of us, then we do. But he continues to love us and have compassion on us. And that metamorphosis takes place from a servant to a son and a son then being the, the inheritor of all. And he does that. And we stand here together today and can proclaim in harmony and say of ourselves and of each other, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? to exact initiate such a change in our life. The Bible tells us in Hosea 11 and verse number four in writing the scriptures, he says, he says, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke off their jaws. And I laid meat unto them. He's speaking about Speaking about Israel, speaking about the people of Jerusalem, he says, you, you want to know how I got them to where they are? You, you want to know how I drew them? I drew them with the cords of a man. I drew them by loving them. I brought them to where they are, not by shoving them, not by pushing them, but I literally persuaded and drew and enticed them by love God's word translation says it like this he said I led them with cords of human kindness with ropes of love I removed the yokes from off their, from their necks and I bent down and I fed them they say that the cords that, that, that the Lord is speaking of here in Hosea, these cords of a man are cords that sometimes parents would use in leading their weak and young and feeble children. And whenever it speaks of bands of love, those bands of love just further qualify, amen, what these cords of man were. They were bands of love, these cords of man. And these are quite, quite uh, in, in contrast to the cords that would be laid upon a burden the beast because we see in the chapter previous it is speaking of Ephraim and Ephraim is spoken of as a heifer he's spoken as a, a, a beast a burden that's quite untamable and quite unmanageable animal and they would put cords upon that heifer and ropes upon that heifer and they would lead them as as in dragging along with resistance that that beast of burden but Christ says that's not the way I deal with Israel I don't deal with her as an old beast and I'm trying to drive her as a master would a servant but I draw her with bands of love with human kindness I I have found and I, I know sometimes and there is a, a, a right and a proper place for discipline. I understand that. We need that. We must have it. The Bible says that he chastised those whom he loves. But it's hard to bear chastisement if you first don't know that you love. If you'll notice back in Proverbs, he speaks about you can speak to a servant, but he won't, he won't hear you. And whoever is hasty with his words, he's just like a fool. What he was telling them, if you're just going to speak down to those servants and do all this stuff and just be hasty in all this, they're, they're not going to be too, too uh, allowing and malleable to your words and what you would want done. He said, you got to first let them know that they're loved. 
Oh, someone say amen. What he was telling Israel was this. He says, hey, that old heifer, it's going to buck and it's going to resist. As you try to just strike the whip and use the prodding thing, they're going to do that because all they see is negativity. All they see is all this frustration and all they're feeling is hate and disdain. He says, but with Israel, I don't treat her like that. No, she still is stubborn. She's still sometimes unmanageable. But you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to build a relationship with her. I'm trying to love her. I'm trying to wrap compassion about her. And after I get compassion wrapped around about her, you know what happens? Israel starts walking where I want Israel to walk. And Israel starts going where I want her to go. And then if she steps out of line, I can use a little correction because she knows at least I love her. Oh, I'm here to tell you today, we need to be careful not to look down our long noses. Amen. At people that were servants to sin and come into being servants of God. Yeah, they're going to be unmanageable sometimes, a little rebellious sometimes, but you better watch your mouth because before they receive any correction, they need to know the church and God and the house of God loves them. And what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us? Bible tells us. Everybody doing okay? Amen. All right. It's unanimous. Exodus 21. And verse number two. There's something about the scripture that is contained here in Exodus 21. You'll also find it in the book of Deuteronomy. That there are some laws that are prescribed concerning servants. I want to read this to you and then I want you to consider something. The Bible says, this is the laws there's a set in place concerning servants. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, and he's speaking to Hebrews, so they're owning one of their own. But if I buy a Hebrew servant, and a servant, a Hebrew might become the, the owner of another servant because they had a debt they could not pay, or so on and so forth, and they've, they've sold off land, and they've exchanged children to the place that they finally are to a certain degree owned themselves because they just didn't have no means of taking care of the indebtedness. But if I buy a, a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And the seventh year, he shall go out free for nothing. And that was the case. The, the, every seventh year, the servants were allowed to go free. Everything was forgiven. But if he came in by himself, if that servant came in by himself, he should go out by himself. And if he were married, then his wife should go out with him. In other words, if he came in uh, into that role of servanthood by himself he'll go out by himself if he came in with a wife he and his wife came in as servants then they will go out as servants if his master hath given him a wife in other words if he became a servant and then that master gave him a wife that was a part of his household then and if she's born him sons and daughters then the wife and her children shall be her masters he should go out by himself so if you come in by yourself you go out by yourself you come in with your family you go out with your family if you come in and you have family the family still stays there and you go out so you go out however you came in you understand? And he says, and if, and if the servant shall say plainly, we're talking about the seventh year that everything's forgiven, the man can go out free or whoever it may be. If he shall say plainly, I love my master. 
my wife and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges and he shall also bring him to the door and to the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So this servant comes maybe due to indebtedness as the servant of another individual. There are certain things required of him for those six years that he works for his master. But on that seventh year when now he's able to go free, you can go. It's said and done. There could be a chance that some of those who had been servants could pause in that year when they could walk out the door with no strings attached and turn back and say, wait a minute. I love my master. And we almost right away have a conflict of terms here. In the view of master-servant, master-slave roles that a servant or slave would return to its master and truly be able to genuinely say, I'm able to be let go right now. This is what I can do, but I love you. I ask you this, how is it that a servant would come to love his master if it had not been that master had shown some love? It's uncanny. It's not normal. It doesn't make sense for a servant to love his master. Only if by chance over those six years that master has had some compassion and some diligence and had drawn that person with cords of love to the place that when he could say, you're free, he says, no, I'd rather stay here connected. Now let's go a step further, guys. Let's consider all this in the context of everything. This is Exodus chapter 21. This is Exodus chapter 21. Already in the formative chapters of Exodus, they have been slaves, servants to Pharaoh, servants to Egypt. And the moment that they finally were able to go, the robes were intact, they had shoes on their feet, and they were just waiting when they said, okay, you can leave. They were ready to leave. But in this scenario, had already been through a life of slavery and servanthood. They're now under a master that must have had some compassion and some love that when they're capable to go, their robe's still hanging up over there on the old, on the old door hanger. Their shoes are still under the bed. Why? Because I'm happy right where I'm at. God is so compassionate about loving you that he wants you whenever the world, amen, says you could to, could to go. He wants you to run as quick as you can, but he wants you to know and love you into a place that, hey, if there was even ever an opportunity that God said I could go, I don't want to go. I love my master because he's no longer just a master to me. He's become my father and I've become his son and I want to forever be bound in this relationship with him. see that servant comes and he's purchased and no doubt with the mindset of the slavery that he had once been in see that's what happens we, we, we don't you know you've just changed who your master is we're still a servant but what can happen sometimes 
we can look at this new management that we're under like the old management we was under. And we enter this servant-master relationship with God and sometimes we can look at it through the same eyes that we did with our servant-master relationship with the world. And in the beginning, we might be a little skeptical. In the beginning, we might feel a little, firstly, maybe perhaps some obligation. And perhaps we're not real sure about this little tenderness we're getting here and there. You know, is there a fist coming behind this? Someone hear me right now. Because you had times that you served in the world that it treated you good too. But there was already some, there was always some ulterior motive behind all of that. Usually it was negativity. Usually it wasn't for your good, it was for your bad. Well, let me tell you, God has an ulterior motive too, but there's no negativity associated with it. He's trying to get you into a sonship role. And that servant might have served out of obligation, might have served because this is what he thought was expected. But over six years of going through that, amen, he was skeptical to begin with. But you know what started to happen in the mind of that servant? You know, maybe this guy really does care maybe this guy really does love me this is not some front this is not some facade this is not something make believe there's been no negativity that's followed his love you know perhaps he really does I'm telling you today some of you may be new in the church and you're right now a little skeptical about the love of God because you felt the heat of trial and the heat of temptation but God's drawing you with cords of love all through that you just stay with it a few years and I tell you this you're going to stand someday without a shadow of a doubt all along he was drawing me with his cords of love he's never stopped loving me he's never stopped caring for me I am where I am today and I don't wish to be loosed from relationship with him see it bothers me and I if I may reflect back just for a moment it bothers me when people want to get out of the relationship with the father you know what it tells me sometimes that they've been sons in position but not sons in practice. I'm a son of God but the preaching happens and all this happens and I just interpret it as a demand. I interpret it as you better do this or and somewhere I've, my eyes and my whole demeanor has been blinded to the fact of the manner of love that he bestowed upon me because if I really put my arms around that and embrace that I would understand he's going to correct me yeah but I know first and foremost that he loves me oh what manner oh what manner of love this happened and I, I know I might we're doing okay I'm doing fine it's great we have this this terminology in New Testament scripture. We don't stand alone. It would seem like, man, a big thing. I think after six years of being a servant, man, I want to be out. But if you received loved in that servant role like you've never received before, who'd want to leave that? Oh. And so we have a list. And you understand with me. I'm coming quickly too close. We have a list of people. That whenever, whenever that person would serve out of obligation, but somewhere along the line, that obligation had turned into a serving, that master who had become more of a fatherly figure out of love. It wasn't rules that made him do it then. It wasn't laws that made him do it then. It was about the relationship that he had forged with what used to be his master was more like a father. 
<laughs> he says, I'll serve him forever. We have lists, if I can just share a few of them, in New Testament scripture of that person they called, but whenever that person uh, would get to that place that they'd say, I love my master and I want to be with him forever, they called that re really a love slave. I just like to call it a son. <laughs> but they call it a love slave. The terminology for it, and you can read oft often of it in the New Testament scripture, they called it a bond servant. A bond servant. Not because they were bound by the master, but they were bound by their own decree. A bond servant. And so whenever I read the New Testament scripture, I read in Romans 1, 1, that Paul speaks of himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. You know what he did? He says, I've served you, Lord, for years, but whenever I was allowed to let go, I said, no, I love my master. This is where I want to stay. The Bible says in Philippians 1 and 1 that Paul and Timothy are described as bondservants. <laughs> they said, no, we want to stay connected with Jesus. Colossians 1, 7, Ephesus, which was one of the disciples, our beloved fellow bondservant. Tychius, the Bible says, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow servant here all of these are people that started out as just general servants but through the diligent care and love of their master said whenever i could go i want to stay i love my master james james the pastor of the new testament jerusalem church he calls himself in james 1 1 a bond servant of god and the lord jesus christ simon peter uh -huh. simon peter who did all his denial and had his flirtation times at times with the world and going back to his old way of life even in the latter part of the book of John somewhere along the way God says whenever you went back to fishing I loved you through and I drew you with cords of love in so much that well I have the fire out there and we're eating fish and you're eating it I ask you the question Peter do you love me more than these thou knowest that I love you Lord Thou knowest that I love you. You know what he's trying to find out? Peter, are you wanting to be let go as you can be let go right now? Or has something happened that I've led you to a position from servanthood to sonship? You know God. And he calls himself, then Simon Peter calls himself a bond servant. Jude calls himself a bond servant. What's that mean? That all these willingly committed themselves to serving the Lord. But at that stage in the game, it wasn't so much serving wasn't interpreted so much as serving as it was just loving Whew. their father from servant to son what manner of love if we bow our heads in this place this morning what manner oh God mm, what manner of love has the father bestowed upon you and I these altars are open to thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.